So I want you to find uh, Luke chapter 12. We're going to read from verses 32 to 40 in a minute. If you use that Bible on your table, it'll be uh, on page 1036, 1036, 1036. When you find that, I'll get to it momentarily, but I, I want to uh, set the stage here a little bit for what we're going to talk about. And quite honestly, this message is kind of personal because, you know, I'm preaching this week, but not next week. And then I'm preaching the next week about something we really need to talk about. And, and then we'll get back to doing more of our sort of series things. But for now, I get to just talk about some things I've been reflecting on. Been on vacation. And even before that, you know, I've been ruminating a lot. You know what ruminating is, right? Cows ruminate. <laughs> You know, if you can't see me, I'm trying to pretend like I'm a cow chewing its cud. And you think about stuff over and over and over again, and you grind on it and think and think and think. And I'm a really good ruminator. And I'm going to say that turning 60 has been a source of rumination for me. I haven't taken it very well, if you want to know the truth. I don't know how to describe that to you. And I'm very aware, by the way. That as soon as I say that, I can see faces in the audience saying, ah, you're just a kid. I know. One of the people in the first service put it to me this way. She said, I know you think you're old, but you're just on third base. <laughs> and I like this so much that it's part of the message now because I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. I'm, I'm running from second and rounding third, and I, I mean, or maybe I'm just approaching third, I don't know, but, but there are people who are, well, one guy told me after the service this morning, he said, I'm sliding into home in slow motion. <laughs> so I admit that I don't have any right to feel sorry for myself for turning 60, but I think that all of us can agree that there are moments in our lives when, when we just, you got to stop and think about where you are, how you got here, where you're going from here. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you something I did not tell the first service because I didn't really think about it. But I was talking with somebody who, who's watching out for you right now after spending his time worshiping in the first service. And, and he, he kind of wanted to probe a little deeper. And, you know, are you saying you're really having a hard time with turning 60? And I said, well... Not really. It's just that I'm, I'm thinking about things that I've never had to think about before. I'm, I'm just in a place I'm not comfortable with. And I will tell you this. One of the issues I have is after 25 years of being a United Methodist pastor, I've become accustomed to moving about every five years. And what have we been talking about for the last few months in the life of this church and hasn't that conversation also included me saying to you, as certainly as I can within my own power to make it happen, I'm not going anywhere, right? And, and I've even joked about it with you because maybe some of you are wishing I would go somewhere and I just sort of smile and say, look, I've seen the pool and it's not very deep. You better just stick with me because at least I'm known. <laughs> at least you can expect what to expect. And, and so we can joke about that, but the serious thing is, is I've never been in the position I'm in right now where I'm looking at the next five to ten years and expecting to remain with you for that. I've never had that luxury as a pastor. That's been messing with my head. 
Because here's some interesting news for you. I don't know at all what we're going to encounter and how we're going to deal with it. I am clueless right now. I, I feel so like ready for a fresh vision, but it hasn't quite arrived yet, you know, because we've been so busy dealing with the various crises for the last five years. You know, when I got here, there were a lot of things that were messed up. And they'd been messed up long before I got here and other pastors had tried to lead towards repairing some of the damage and, and resetting things in a better direction. And I continued the process, building on what they did well. And then COVID hit. And right about the time I was ready to see us start pressing towards a fresh vision that I felt like I had for the church. And, and, and then COVID hit and just like put on the brakes on everything. And now all of a sudden I'm rethinking this whole thing and it's like, okay, now I just got to figure out how to hold this together during this, this shutdown. How do I do this? You know, and, and you all, some of you can remember when I was, you know, fitfully trying to work it all out from my basement, talking to you through my notebook computer and trying to keep us together, keep us a collective body of Christ while separated by the times. And we, we managed to get through a Lent and an Easter together that way. And, 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 you know, it was exciting and challenging, but it was terrifying. And then we try to get started again. And then there's conflict over, you know, how seriously do we take this pandemic? And, you know, how obediently are we going to follow all the guidelines? And, and, and you know, and so now you've got people who are separated by their different political perspectives and their different interpretations of all this, you know, information we're being overloaded with about the, this, this global crisis and everything. And it just... You know, and then we have an election and, and, you know, well, here's what I do when I ruminate. I read, I listen to podcasts, I, I, I study, I do my homework. I, if you know anything about Enneagrams, I'm a five, you know, so I'm a, I'm a, a studious sort of seeker of information. And, and, and every time I, you know, I'm confronted with with something unknown, I tried to know as much as I can about it. And I've been studying and what I've discovered is, is that this problem that we've been going through because of the pandemic is universal. It's happening all over the world and it's not just the church, it's all of society. We, you know, you, you're finding employers that are unable to fill positions because, you know, a whole generation that happened to be a bigger generation than the succeeding generations has just said, well, I'm done. It is retiring, moving on, and, and, and there are trends in the church. I've been mystified and, and, and somewhat frustrated because of certain people who have disappeared from the church since the pandemic, and they're just not going anywhere, and they're not coming back. They've just left, and I'm mystified about this, but what I find out, it's happening all over the world. Christians, people who attended church regularly just stopped. And there's people out there writing books and they're pontificating and opining about why and, and, and nobody's come up with a satisfactory answer. I don't know that we're going to be able to figure this thing out until we've looked back for maybe 50 years down the road. And so I find myself at a place in my life where I'm just saying, okay, Lord, now what? <laughs> you know, we have a crisis in a manner of speaking. We have, because of the pandemic, this crisis that was about to come to a head in the life of the denomination 
came to a screeching halt because of the pandemic and then the powers that be leveraged the pandemic in a way to pretty much force us to the point where we are going to have to just decide as the family at Shiloh whether we want to keep hanging on to this tradition and to what it threatens pretty vividly to become. And I have this tension in me because I'm looking at myself at 60 and I'm thinking, well, I honestly don't think I've ever felt more competent or confident than I've ever, that I feel right now. And yet I'm old enough to know that there are too many unanswered questions and I don't have a plan or an answer. You know, the difference between me at 60 and me at 40 is, is I'm willing to admit that I don't know what I'm doing. That doesn't mean I can't handle it. It just means that I don't have the answers. And you know, the funny thing about being a pastor, and this is true of any leader, by the way, there are people who are always criticizing you because they think they know how you should be doing your job and they don't think you're doing it the way you should. And there are people who hang on every word that comes out of your mouth and people on both sides of that spectrum make me terribly uncomfortable. Because I don't want to be the guy you think has all the answers. I don't need the pressure. But I also don't want to be the guy that can't ever do it right for you. You know? And last year at this time, I was, I was already fretting over turning 60. And I hit the wall. I mean, I really hit the wall last year about this time. And, and it really came down to... I was 59 and Dave Ramsey said that at 59 you should buy long-term care insurance. This is a true story. And I just thought, well, gee whiz, the first time I heard him say that, 59 seemed so far away that I never imagined that I'd have to deal with it. And all of a sudden here I am and I'm not ready to deal with this. And that set me down this road of trying to figure out when I could retire. And there was a big part of me that wanted to retire because I was just tired of the stress. You gotta understand, I love my job and I love you, but you know what the best part of my vacation was? Just not being responsible for anything for a couple of weeks. Anybody relate to that? Just not having to make it, you know what the best part of my vacation was? Is Bethany and Laura told me what to do. Do you know I learned to like sitting in the back seat of our van with my head down reading something while we traveled through terrible traffic and not being responsible for keeping the family alive. I just sat back there and enjoyed the view. <laughs> I can get into that. Well, last year I was really tired and I was thinking, when is the earliest I can retire? This year, the Lord has made it clear to me in no uncertain terms that you will retire when I say so. Shut up. I did with this crisis what I always do. I, I read and I listened and I studied and I sought the Lord and I sought knowledge and, and I found a book by Will Willimon, a wonderful Methodist preacher, one of the best, math, I think probably one of the best Methodist pastors that, that our tradition has ever produced. And he's also a wonderful writer. And, and he wrote a book called Aging, Theological Wisdom for Ministering Well, Growing Old in the Church. So I read the book. 
And I want to read his preface to the book, a, a portion of it to you, because I could relate. He says, one of my favorite photos of my namesake, Will, is of the two of us, he in his second summer of life, on his first trip to the South Carolina coast. I'm leading into the surf at sunset, one who only recently had learned to walk. I expected him to be afraid at his first meeting of the sea. He is no fear and all joy. He holds my hand in the photo. You can see only our backs, an old man stooping toward the child, the child eagerly pushing forward. You can see, but you can't see it, but I'll never forget the smile on his face. Will's delight as he eagerly entered the waves at my encouraging him to jump. I love that photo's depiction of one of the great joys of aging, leading a little one toward the grand adventure of the wide world, gripping his hand reassuringly, egging him on to face into the wind and leap the waves. <coughs> but yesterday, when I looked at this picture of the two of us, the little boy and the old man, the growing child and the aging adult, it occurred to me that I had misread the moment. I, who presumed to be leading the child, saw that I was being led. Here at sunset, the sea, the vast eternity of time that was rushing toward him was promise, was ebbing away from me, taking from me all that I loved, including the little boy named for me. He was all future, and I was mostly past. Most of his life was ahead of him. Most of my life was behind me. In truth, the little one, still fresh in the world, had me by the hand, encouraging me to, to make my way into the deep, departing. He begins life by eagerly jumping forward. I clutch his tiny hand tightly, my last grip of the future. At the end of the day, as I stagger uncertainly, unwillingly toward the engulfing eternal sea, not long from now, much sooner than I'd like, he'll have to let go and venture on without me. His grip is not tight enough to rescue me from the encroaching dark. Now, it sounds a little somber, but it's, it's the way that Will Willimon was setting the conversation about aging in the church. And what he wants to say to us is what I've discovered to be true. I just wasn't ready for where I arrived at this particular moment. My life since I joined with Christ as a newborn believer at the headwaters of a river has been as though I'm adrift on this river and I go where it takes me. And sometimes it takes me into these ebbing sort of places that slow down and feel deep and relaxing and warm. And then at other times it takes me through rapids and strong currents. And, and I just happen to be in a moment in my life right now where I keep seeing this, I hear this roar and I keep seeing this mist out ahead of me. And I keep thinking that there's a waterfall coming and I don't know if I can survive that waterfall, you know, but my whole life has been like that. It's really what I think faith is. See, faith is jumping in to the current of the Holy Spirit and going where it takes you and accepting where it takes you. And sometimes it takes you through deep and scary waters and sometimes it takes you through shallow, bumpy, rough places. And sometimes it's just 
wonderfully peaceful and restorative. And this part of my life has no more or less control than any other part of my life, but I can see the mist and hear the roar out in ahead of me, and it's kind of unnerved me a little bit. Laura's father passed away a month or so ago, and he was always such a vital and youthful man, and it was so hard to take his sudden turn and demise. And then when I thought about how old he was and how short the distance is from where I am now to where he was when he left us to be with the Lord, it started messing with my head too. Is there anybody here that can relate? Because I have a feeling I'm not alone in this. And so when I think about these things, and then I think about the future that I've been charged by God to help uphold here in this place with this family, I wonder, Lord, what are you doing? And how in the world do you think I'm going to fit into all of this? I wonder about it a lot. Well, let's read the scripture passage and then see if we can wrap this up. Because we need to go to the Lord's table today, too. So the passage today is from Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 32. And this is what Jesus says to us. Get this first sentence and lock it into your brain. This is beautiful. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <laughs> Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I would say that to you on that night when we vote. Do you want the gift of the kingdom? And is this part of it? Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where, thief, uh, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming. Now, that passage, I chose it months ago for this particular occasion and then ruminated myself into this message and you know what once again the Lord has caused the spirit and mind to converge and what I've realized as I read that is is that we are at every stage of our lives expected to be dressed for action and ready when the master knocks on the door or let us say when the ones whom the master sends knocks on the door. See, what I've realized at this journey, this, this place in my journey where I once was thinking seriously, how can I get out of all this responsibility and retire and move on to something where people aren't 
expecting things from me. You know, I went from there to a point where the Lord says to me, you know what? You're not done until I say so. And if you quit early, you're cheating me. That's what I heard the God, the God say to me, plain as day. And the reason I say that is not because I hear voices in my head or even, you know, some sort of spectral uh, religious experience. What I mean is, is that I did what I always do as if the Lord didn't know ahead of time that I would do this. Right. So he knew that when I started ruminating about this transition in my life, that I'd start reading and then darn if he didn't choose the reading list. And in the reading, I heard clearly the whole idea of retirement is alien in scripture. It doesn't exist. People just do what they're called to do until they, they're done. And I don't know exactly what my job here is going to look like 10 years from now, but I don't have the privilege to decide to quit. And neither do you. See, none of us is allowed to choose whether or not we're gonna stop being disciples of Jesus Christ. But you'd be amazed how many people I meet in church life who say, I did my time. And please don't be offended if that was you. I'm just trying to make a point here. You say, because you no longer feel physically able to work in the nursery, that you'd rather not do that anymore. And I get it. Because if you're not physically able, I don't think you should do it either. But if you say, I've done my time and now it's just my opportunity to come to church and receive all the benefits, then you've missed the point of what church is all about. And that's really what the Lord was saying to me too, is, is, you know, when I called you into ministry, I didn't call you into something that you would do for 25 or 30 years and then quit. You know, I called you into a way of life and that's what I expect from you. And it's a way of life that goes right through to eternity. Therefore, I need to stay ready, stay dressed for action, keep my lamps burning and be ready when the master comes home or when the one the master sends comes to the door. So understand that readiness basically involves planning, preparation and execution. The master is coming. That's what we call imminence in church speak. It just means that things that are going to happen, but you don't know when are going to happen. So if you were at the Strassenfest last night, somebody said there's a storm coming. It was imminent. <laughs> it was going to come. It's just a question of when. And you would watch for the signs and listen to reports from the frontier and you would know when to expect it. And then you better have a plan. You know, there were some people in Washington, D.C. last week who didn't have a plan. They got struck by lightning and died. I don't want to make you children afraid or anything. I'm just telling you, if there's lightning, don't stand under a tree, okay? But, but here's the thing. You, if you're going to operate under the uh, uh, belief that Christ's return is imminent, then it means that you are making plans for his return. But there's another thing that's imminent that I want you to think about tonight because it turns out, or today, because we're not done. None of us are done until the Lord says so. The Lord has a plan for Shiloh that I may not have figured out yet and I may not have expressed to you in vivid detail, but the Lord's got a plan. And, go, and, and God knows what God's going to do here. And the thing I'm sure of is, is we've worked really hard as a family of faith for, well, probably 20 years, but especially in the last five to 10 years, recovering from a lot of bad things. 
A lot of crises. We've pushed through a lot of stuff. And in the last few years, despite the pandemic and and the uh, impending vote of disaffiliation and everything, despite that, we've also spent tens of thousands of dollars upgrading and repairing our facilities and getting ready for a future that we can only imagine, right? We've put a lot of effort into this building, but how much effort have we put into the people who will be here? Especially the ones who will take our place when we are gone. Because here's what I realized this morning before the sermon when somebody used that baseball analogy. You know what? If I'm rounding third and some people are on their way down to home plate, you know where you go after home plate? The dugout, a.k.a. grave, hole in the ground. Please don't be depressed or think that I'm being, I'm just saying, let's be honest. You know what happens, you young folks? Here's, see, when you turn 50 or 60, you have to deal with the fact that you've got more time behind you than you have ahead of you. You have to deal with that when you get to a certain point in your life. And when you do, as a Christian, one of the things you've got to deal with is that one of these days I'm going to be gone. I'm looking out here right now and I can see places where saints used to sit who are now home with the Lord. You know them too. Who's taking their place? Who's going to use all of this to glorify Christ and to remind people of his imminent return when we're not here to do it? Who's coming after me? Well, all you sleepers are awake now. (laughs) Who's coming after me? Who's coming after you? I know what it's like to be a parent and a grandparent and wonder why your children aren't in church. I know what that's like. But does that mean that because we failed or succeeded in getting our kids in church that we're done? Who else can we bring here and how can we bring them? I don't have the answer. I have the challenge today. And the challenge is is that you need to be familiar with the signs. You need to recognize who's coming and why, or who might come if we knew what to say or what to do to get them to hear. And don't be thinking about taking your place at, you know, trivial jobs in the life of the church. Please don't take me wrong. We need your help with lots of little things. We really do. But that's not what this is about. Who will take your place of worship? Who will take your place of worship? That's the question I want you to think about. So please spend some time this week talking with friends and family and your, your own self in the rumination of your heart about who will replace you when you're gone and what you can do to help with that problem. Because as awesome as the staff here is, and they are awesome, and as hard as I try to bring all that I have in the way to serve you and serve Christ, we can't do it by ourselves. I don't have the answer, but you might. So I am pleading with you, especially if you have more behind you than you do ahead of you like me, to think about what you can do to finish strong and make replacements for you. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. 
Now burn it on our hearts, we pray. Amen. Thank you.